data can get annoying in very, one very particular way, which is that numbers don't match. You know, there's not a single source of truth. So you think to yourself, okay, CEO, I want to know the quarterly sales. And someone's like, cool, here's your quarterly sales. But is that the same as quarterly sales that the head of growth is getting when they say, I want quarterly sales by region. And then if you sum it all up, are those actually going to be the same thing? And it sounds like they should be, but they're actually not. That was Cedric Desud, co-founder of Narrator.ai, talking to Nathan Collier, our former director of content. In this episode, you'll hear how Cedric built WeWork's payment platform, how he went on to launch Narrator, a powerful new self-service analytics platform, and what he's learned about data along the way. I'm EJ Brown, senior content strategist at Fastbring. We help SaaS and software companies scale around the world. And you're listening to the Growth Stage podcast, where we share stories from global SaaS leaders that you can use to inspire new growth strategies in your own business. All right, Cedric, thanks for taking a couple of minutes today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Cedric Desud, and I'm currently a co-founder at Narrator.ai. I used to be an engineering director at WeWork, and uh, before that, I worked at Microsoft as a senior software engineer. And I've back at WeWork, I built WeWork's primary uh, billing, payments, invoicing management system um, over a number of years. And at Narrator, you know, I do all kinds of stuff. We're a data platform company that thinks that data can be done in a fundamentally better way. So happy to talk about anything related to my experience. I'm really excited to be here. Very cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing your story. I have I have so much I want to ask you because I was reading up, you know, on the notes you sent me. Uh, let me start with this. So, so tell me more about the billing platform at WeWork. Like, what was the need? Yeah. Okay. So, back in this is going to be what nine years ago. Um, back in 2013, I joined WeWork, and the first thing, my first week at at WeWork, I get pulled into Adam Newman's office. So it's him and and our um, the head of our department and me. And he basically goes, hey, I need you to build, build us a billing system. And I need it in three months. So that was the gist of that entire conversation. So like, why, why did he ask that? Um, at the time, the company was, uh, it was much smaller. It was eight buildings total, all in New mm-hmm. York. So as you can imagine, a little different than they are now and at their height. And at the time, they didn't have a system to do this. And I was unaware, and I think the rest of the company was unaware of any other systems that existed. I, I don't know if you guys existed then. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Um, you know, Stripe billing did not exist. And so we sort of realized, oh, oh shoot, we better build something. Um, at the time, the business was effectively run on spreadsheets. So, you know, the community managers, that was the name of the folks that, uh, that ran a building and were responsible for it. They would have a spreadsheet that said, here's the person, here's the office, here's how much they owe, here's when they moved in, and here's when they're planning on moving out, if so, right? And it's blank if not. And every month, they would hand write invoices, oh, and, right? Like literally go through the spreadsheet and type in invoices by hand and, and send them out. And it got to the point where, you know, they were spending the entire day before the end of the month writing out these invoices and double checking them, right? Because this is something you can't you can't mess up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this doesn't scale. But at the time, the company had grown so quickly that, you know, they just hadn't had time to put anything in place. So my first job there at WeWork was, and basically was the thing I worked on the whole time I was there, it uh, turned out, uh, was to build a billing system on top of, of, like, replace this particular thing they had going and, and give them something that, that could work and scale. Um, I know I'm getting along here, so I can I can talk about what I did after that in a second if you're interested. <laughs> Sure. 
and that's a whole backend side too, right? They send the invoices and then they got to like accept credit cards or checks or it's a whole backend to processing all that kind of stuff too, right? Yep. Well, yeah, at the time, I'm not going to say what they did because I'd hate to get anyone in trouble, <laughs> but um, they figure out a way to get the money. I'll, I'll put it that way. Okay. Uh, it wasn't automated. Um, um, charging was done manually by hand. Okay. Very interesting. So you come in, they're doing this manual process. How do you even tackle a project like that? So this is where I think the story gets somewhat interesting. Um, they wanted it done in three months and Adam has a sort of a tendency to, to push very hard and have very, very ambitious goals and, you know, where things are going to go. And so the case he made was in three months, the company is just going to not scale. This is going to be a problem. It's going to, you know, big deal, big problem, right? So three months. So when I looked at this um, with a software engineering background, right, and I have to build this in three months, I realized to your point, right, like how do you pay how do you reconcile invoices? How do you make sure that they work? How do you connect back to the whatever ERP system is on the back end? I realized there's no chance we can do this in three months. But maybe if we didn't have a UI, in other words, like maybe if the system had no interface at all, it could work purely as a backend system. And so what we concocted, which is horrifying and also just really interesting, was we decided to actually use the spreadsheets as the front end, as the UX. So what we effectively did is built a system that would read the spreadsheets from there, automatically generate invoices, you know, finalize them at the right time, send them to the ERP system and charge automatically, you know, connecting mm -hmm. through, um, at the time, I think they were using JP Morgan or, or something. I forget exactly which bank it was, but we connected straight to the bank to issue the charges, you know, the credit cards were collected through UI, that was basically the only UI we had was a sort of UI for, for a credit card collection that was hosted by the bank. Um, and so it, it, you know, it took three months to build, but it actually worked. So the, you know, as the company was, would move people in, the spreadsheets would get updated by the community managers on a regular basis. You know, every hour we'd sort of like check the spreadsheets, show these are all the invoices that are gonna be finalized at the end of the month. Feel free to check them as you go. And then right at the end of the month, they'd all immediately get finalized. Um, and then we just start charging. And I got to say, it actually, it actually worked. So there was a couple hiccups, uh, as, as any software project done in three months might have, but there wasn't anything fundamentally problematic in that we saved a huge amount of time on the community manager's side. Um, and then from there, we eventually obviously got rid of the spreadsheets, built out a real system, but that, that was the basis of the system that um, powered WeWork up until I left in 2018. It probably still does. I just haven't checked. But it, mm -hmm. it, you know, it eventually easily um, went through billions and billions of dollars of invoices. It's fascinating. So, for the technical people listening to this, you say spreadsheet. Is it Microsoft Excel? Like, what are the technical? Oh yeah. So it's, uh, it's <laughs> no. These were Google Sheets. So these were uh, Google Sheets with APIs, right? So we could we could hit the APIs as much as we needed. Um, there was a lot of trickiness to it, to be honest, that you wouldn't have expected. So. Sometimes you get rate limited, so we can't hit the API too often. Sometimes the, the spreadsheets can get too big. There's too many columns. And so the response object gets too large and Google doesn't love that. You know, we had to deal with the fact that, hey, like someone could easily type in any garbage into the spreadsheet, right? Like, you know, we had to lock the columns in all the spreadsheets. They had to all have a similar format. So you can't change columns and remove columns because the, the columns were important. But if someone puts in like some text instead of a number, then the whole thing's going to break. So there was a huge amount of work. Um, which potentially might have been more work ultimately than just building a UI from the get-go um, to make sure that as an interface it actually worked and people when they caused problems on accident or there were problems just due to processing that it didn't actually like block the entire building from from getting their invoices done. 
like how many locations are we talking about by the time this is, I mean, you're talking about hundreds. No, no, thankfully. So we were eight when I started the project. And by the time three months later we finished, we might've been like 10 or 11. I mean, I don't even know if we were maybe, if we had even gotten any bigger than eight. I mean, this was something to like make sure as the company grew, it wasn't going to be a problem. Uh, It took us probably another six months beyond that to get rid of the spreadsheets entirely. Uh, so by then, you know, probably okay. 20 or 30 buildings, um, you know, I'd, I'd have to really look and remember better, but yeah, it, it, by the time it was truly scaling, the, the system had kind of taken over and the spreadsheets were, were thankfully gone. Okay. So you built a UI eventually. We did. To, to we sit did. over. Yeah. Okay. Um, and okay. So you didn't have spreadsheets powering hundreds or thousands of offices all over the world no. in 2018. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, I mean, it's one of these things where. A startup that scales fast enough is always so far ahead of its own, you know, it grows ahead of itself. So like mm-hmm. the intent was always that we do this in a very robust way because it's like a, a business critical thing to do, particularly since we have a, a serious accounting team um, that really needed to make sure the numbers worked. Uh, and so it, it was critically important to do it correctly. And so it, it was important to get off of them as soon as, as soon as we reasonably could. Once we met Adam's three month, like, you know, boom, like you guys have to do this in three months. So how many people were in the company? Like, was it 10 people, 20, 100 in the whole company? So at WeWork at the time, there were, uh, when I joined, there were a little bit, bit above 50 people. By the time this was all happening, let's, it probably didn't grow much higher, you know, probably 60, 70. It was still, you know, like post-Series A, like not a huge company, big ambition, but um, not enormous yet. What'd you build the UI on? So at the time, the system we built was was based on Rails, and we did the simplest UI we could. We it's HTML built by Rails, right? Like we had controllers that generated HTML. Nothing wasn't a single page app. There was no React on it. You know, hardly any JavaScript. It wasn't fancy at all. Uh, just a simple, simple UI for the community managers to go in and, and sort of see. This is all the invoices I've got. This is all the people I've got. Like a form to move them in, a form to move them out. Over time, this evolved quite a lot. You know, we eventually built out a constellation of systems, each which did their own thing. So eventually, mm-hmm. um, this core like space management system lost its UI because we built a very um, specific new app that was all front-end React-based for the community managers to manage the buildings, in which managing invoices was only part of it, you know, and, and so eventually it just became an API. So you, you run this... <laughs> This thing that starts off with spreadsheets that grows into this whole app, yeah. um, and somehow you get from there to founding your own, co-founding a company that that does data. So, how does that happen? Sure. Well, you know, let me start by saying that my interaction with the data team at the time, you know, the, the time scale we're talking about, there wasn't a data team. So, you know, the first thing I had to do was sometimes backfill that a tiny bit. Like, you know, occasionally the uh, the accounting team would, would need something that that wasn't obviously available through the ERP system, um, in which case I would mm-hmm. go in and, and build a query and, and find it for them. But, you know, they started building a data team. And the first person they brought in uh, was Ahmed, who is uh, the founder of Narrator, uh, CEO. Mm-hmm. And so he actually grew the entire uh, data organization. And so I got to know him pretty closely. We worked very closely together. As we were grew, um, and this is effectively the origin story of Narrator. So as we were grew... To, to put it in context, when I started, as I said, it was 50 people. When I left, it was 5,000. So it grew 100x in terms of people. It grew 100x in terms of members. You know, by every metric you could think of, it, it basically grew 100x, which in five years is pretty actually nuts. And so data was no exception. And by the time sort of like 
you know, around 2018 rolled around, the data world at WeWork was like 40 data engineers and scientists, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of data tables, you know, a big old warehouse, like dozens and dozens of like systems built by engineers in and, and my department, all just doing their thing, right? It had gotten pretty messy. So apologies for the non-data folks here. I'll, I'll make an assertion about data and I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, <laughs> but I will say that data can get annoying in very, one very particular way, which is that numbers don't match. You know, there's not a single source of truth. So you think to yourself, okay, CEO, I want to know the quarterly sales. And someone's like, cool, here's your quarterly sales. But is that the same as quarterly sales that the head of growth is getting when they say, I want quarterly sales by region? And then if you sum it all up, are those actually going to be the same thing? And it sounds like they should be, but they're actually not. And at least not always. And the reason they're not is that every time you make a new metric, like a new plot, like a new, some kind of new number, you generally have to sort of like start over and write SQL for it and look at a work other people have done. But unlike software engineering, you can't really like use stuff that people have done in the past. So you kind of hope that if someone else made a quarterly report for sales, that you can then figure out how to reuse that for, to break it down by region and maybe copy their logic. But if you don't see it, you'll make your own and then your logic's going to be subtly different. And so you end up with just dozens of subtly different things across the company. And it is actually a fairly common thing for, for the CEO to come in and say, hey, like, why are these numbers not matching? What's going on? So we, we saw this in spades at WeWork and realized that basically these analysts whose job it is to, to give numbers and give you know, guidance were spending 80% of their time just reading these SQL queries, trying to understand what was the actual source of truth. Like, why do we have three versions of this concept called sale or occupancy or whatever for WeWork, right? As the company grew, that became more and more problematic because as you get more data, it just becomes more messy. So, right. you know, I, I could talk about how narrative gets there, but, you know, the question I'm supposed to be answering is, is, well, how did we get there? How did I actually move from, from software engineering over to narrator? Is by just being close with Ahmed and the other two co-founders, we realized that this is just insanity and there was a really big opportunity. And so Ahmed had actually prototyped out a completely different way of doing data on top of, of WeWork's data that he was really excited about. And, you know, we all took a look at it and realized like this, this is actually fairly transformative. Let's go and see if we can build something out of this. So Ahmed kind of started on his own and, and ran off and, and started building it, you know, quit first. And then I, I joined him a little bit later um, once it was clear that, yes, this technically could get built. It's a little bit of a weird story of being a software engineer to go to one data company, but it's, it's mostly because I realized, wow, like there's this whole area where people are doing work that, that can be made substantially, substantially better. So there are a, a whole bunch of founders and CEOs who at some point will see this video and they're, they're cringing along with you. When they hear that like sales total and sales totaled by region don't match because that's a common problem like that maybe not that one specifically but like i think it's interesting that you, you point out that like data sets are they seem like they should be objective but they often don't tell this a consistent story i mean that's that's what i'm hearing yeah right? and it's not even a philosophical thing it's interesting it's purely a mechanical is maybe the wrong word but like when it comes down to just doing the work it's, it's difficult to put different disparate data sets together. It can be a lot of trouble. And so you do it once and then you need to do it in some other subtly different way. It becomes a real challenge to go, should I change it? Should I make a new one that's similar? Like how close are these? And then you get really lost in the details. So I'll open the door to this. How does Narrator solve that? And then I want to ask you some questions about like what people could learn from this story. Narrator basically, you know, kind of just turns things on its head a little bit. So 
What Narrator does is it says, let's not think of data in the same way that we normally have, where it's these are a bunch of tables and these have to all be joined together to make something. Instead, it thinks in terms of activities. So everything is customer centric. The idea is any data that your company is interested in, in doing anything with at all. Like at some point, there's some kind of customer taking some kind of action at some time. And, and this is the thing we always love people challenging us on because we can sort of always frame it that way. So let me give you the, um, I'll give you the WeWork example because we were talking about WeWork. I'll assume that maybe folks listening know, you know, WeWork leases out office space. Like that's maybe the simplest way to think about it, right? That's probably right. good enough for our purposes. So a customer might be a person, you know, that decides to get an office. So, you know, data they care about, somebody signed a contract. Like that's them saying that they're going to, you know, pick up a subscription for an office for a few months. Like that's an action that Narrator then sort of works with. Um, customer moved out, a customer viewed a web page, customer submitted a support ticket, customer posted on the internal social network. You know, all these activities, this is what Narrator calls them, are activities. And apologies if I go long, I'm trying to explain this quickly. It's okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> but the fundamental idea is, okay, so once we define these activities, and this is all based on the, the data that's sort of already in someone's data warehouse, then what we do is we we put them in a special format that we call the activity schema. And, and effectively, it's, it's in that format. So we make a big table. That table literally says, here's the customer, here's the action they took, here's when they did it, over and over and over and over. That's like just one big table, like millions of entries, all saying this person did this at this time. Um, and then from there, we realize, hey, look, we can like answer just about any data question by just reading these activities together. And what makes this different is that it's actually very easy now to combine anything together. So previously, I'll give you a real example because I know this is a little abstract. Previously, you know, the data team at WeWork was asked, hey, like, we really care about um, leads coming in, people, you know, deciding to take a tour with the community manager and then deciding to take an office. And, but we want to know, hey, do phone calls have any effect on that? Like, do they call first and then take a tour? And the poor data people are like, oh my God, I have no idea how to connect a person in the phone system with a person that took the tour. There's like the data doesn't have that connection in there at all. And so it's a huge amount of work to try to relate these things together. It's a fundamental problem that, that people just call user attribution. So at Narrator, what we've done is we just say like, look, every time you get a phone call, you just say who you think the user is. Every time you get a move-in form, you say who the user is. And then we do the, the work of sort of stitching that all together with a takeaway being that if you ever want to say, oh, what's the conversion rate from somebody visiting a website to somebody buying my product, visited a website, buy products can always be matched together in Narrator immediately. And you can do that with any number of activities, like no matter what they are. So the phone call to move in form example, same thing. Like as soon as you want to know how they relate, you can just do it immediately. So it's effectively once you've built out this core little bit of your data system, the narrator can then go across all of them to get any data you like. Um, so I'll say one more sentence, which hopefully ties it all together, and then I'll be done with this super long answer, um, which is basically <laughs> in the old data world that I spent all this time describing, whenever someone asks a new question, like a new flavor of a question that wasn't asked before. So, you know, I mentioned, give me quarterly sales by region. What if it's quarterly sales by city? And yeah, I know I said region before, but now I want city. I really want to dive down, right? Like any other facet of that, if you didn't think ahead, some poor data person then has to go and rethink how to make it work. And so every time you ask a new question the old way, it could be weeks of work before you get your answer. A narrator, once it's set up, hmm. this is what we do fundamentally, 
every time you want to have a new little facet on a question, it just happens immediately. There's no extra work to be done. So you can ask a question, then a follow-up, then a follow-up, then a follow-up, which is, we feel like the right way to do data. The difference, I think, tell me if I'm wrong. In most orgs, there's data sets in different places, right? Like they're all over the place. And as you're trying to make sense of it, you have to sort of figure out how to tie them together every time somebody asks a new question. That's right. And in, in Narrator, you do that, I guess, ahead of time is one way to put it. Um, you don't actually ever have to relate them directly. You just say, okay, you know, I've got this data set coming from Zendesk, which Zendesk, you know, does all my support tickets. So I just have to say, user submitted support ticket, user closed support ticket. And that's it, I'm done. As long as I sort of express that, then I don't have to worry about how Zendesk relates to any of my other systems as far as the data goes. So you just individually sort of put each one into the right format and then you're good to go. So say you're talking to like a SaaS founder or SaaS CEO, small company, $10 million, something like that in that range. Like what are the pieces of data that are most commonly frustrating for them that like they should be looking at? Because I feel like there's a lot of fear of missing out when you come to data to the sort of entrepreneur and growth world, right? You look around and you think all these people are doing cool things with data. I can't even seem to figure out what my quarterly sales are. <laughs> um, I've heard that some flavor of that version for from a lot of different people in a lot of different corners. So talk to that person for a minute. Like, how should they be thinking about this? Cool. Yes. So there's a lot of different ways to think about this. The first thing I will say, it is always worse to overdo data than it is to underdo it. If you're thinking, okay, I'm not doing it correctly, or I'm not doing it right, you're going to engage your brain a lot and really second guess what you're up to and really try to make sure you're doing it correctly. Whereas if you've gotten like some fancy system that answers every question for you, you'll be like, cool, I'm doing data. And so, you know, it's one of these things you don't want to overextend yourself on. You know, to answer a little more specifically, I think the very first step is to make sure that the metrics you care about, you know them and they're available to you and you trust them. Now, any CEO, I think, is going to know the metrics they care about. So at minimum, there's like, you know, what's my revenue? Someone's going to ask you, how much money are you making? Like, you're going to want to know how, like, how much churn do I have? Literally, the state of the business is something you're already going to want to know. And if you don't know, you're going to move heaven and earth to get it figured out as soon as possible. Right. Like when we were tiny, we could figure it out by literally adding it up in our heads because we had like two customers and you knew how much they were paying you. But you always know that number. And so... That's the first step is to is to have a reliable source that you trust um, that and, and I mean trust meaning like you you know you understand where it's coming from. So you know, for example, if someone is using a, a billing platform like let's say Fastspring, I assume you guys have things like that. Like you have got revenue, I'm sure you have MRR, I'm sure you've got and if that's the only platform you're using for all your sales, then you can be pretty confident that those numbers are gonna be close enough for your purposes to sort of, you know, and if you ever want to check, you can always manually double check. I'm emphasizing this because it's actually less common than you realize to have data in a place that makes sense that, that you trust. So that's step one is like the metrics you care about, and we can talk about what metrics should you care about, but the metrics you care about, make sure you're getting them from somewhere that, that you believe and, and that you're getting them consistently. This only becomes a problem when, when you start to get bigger and things come from multiple places. So real example, we at Narrator are using a, a billing platform for certain subscriptions, but for others, people are paying us in different ways. And so, like, I can't now ask our billing system, what's my MRR? It doesn't actually know because I'm getting effectively checks in the mail, right? So, like, they don't know about that. Um, the trick is to understand, is the system I'm looking at the source of truth? It does it know the totality of the world. If I can give you another example that's maybe a little less intuitive, but still pretty interesting that illustrates this. Uh, this applies more to maybe marketing folks, but 
when people run online ads, you know, they'll run Facebook ads or they'll run Google ads or they'll run, you know, whatever, Pinterest. And frequently these, these ad platforms will say, you know, obviously here's the number of ads we ran, here's how much it costs, whatever. But then they'll also take a stab at guessing, hey, all these sales you got, I'm going to try to say whether or not someone saw one of our ads before, like you made that sale. Right. And the problem is these platforms don't know about each other. So if you were to sum up all the orders that Facebook thought it was responsible for, plus all the ones Google thought it was responsible for, right, and so on, it would sum up to far above 100%. Right. And, and so that's a case where you can't really too much rely on those numbers. And you have to realize the source of truth actually doesn't exist in any of them. It actually exists with all of them combined. Which is actually a segue to, well, when do you need a data team? But I'll, I'll let you sort of read this discussion and get that. <laughs> so when do you need, I, I guess I, to zoom back and I'll ask, yeah. ask that question here in a second, but like you're talking about at WeWork, if I go back to the WeWork example, you, you built a billing platform on your own, like hacked together in three months and then over several years developed it out to something that was functional. That's That's the right timeline, right? Yeah. So it's not easy to build a billing platform. Let's like state that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's both agree on that. What, what, what were some of the things that you ran into as you were building it that they were like, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be? Yeah. Um, there's a couple things. So uh, one that was pretty interesting is, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say two. So if I forget one, remind me. Um, one that was interesting was when we first did it, at the very same time that we were kind of working on launching this billing platform, the uh, the company decided to switch their ERP system from QuickBooks to SAP. Um, mm. And so uh, we have to sync all our invoices straight to that system. So right, so I get to write a sync to go to QuickBooks. In two months, we, we can only bill monthly. So I had a test month where I tried to do it on one building to make sure the system worked. So that was month two. And then month three was when we launched it with everyone. So month two, we did it with QuickBooks. And everyone was happy. Yay, look, it worked for this one building. So then month three, we, we go live, right? We couldn't test in between, at least not in a substantial way. And so we went to SAP. And then, you know, a few days in the month, I, I get, you know, effectively the CFO running into my office saying, we can't collect on like so much revenue, just super pissed. Like the accounting team is stuck. There's like however much revenue, like just outstanding. We're not getting. And what happened was... We obviously charged, you know, what we could automatically, but as, as you're more than well aware, that doesn't always work. And some right. people you got to go and like get money from, right? It's called Dunning. And they didn't have the ability to see who that was anymore. So QuickBooks had it. SAP, however it was configured, did not have that for some reason. I don't know the details. And obviously there's some little bit of there that might not be 100% correct. But I mean, the takeaway was they were like, we're not actually sure who owes us money and who to follow up on um, to get that money. And I was wow. like, oh, I wasn't aware. Like probably failure on my part <laughs> not to be aware that that was the thing they were going to lose by switching over. Mm -hmm. And so we had to like emergency, you know, as fast as possible build. This was the first UI we basically built into the product was a UI for the accounting department to get a basically a list of all the folks that the payments didn't work out and and have them have a, have a way to then go and, and ask, you know, to charge again, um, which clearly is a fundamental part of any building platform. Uh, but I had to go build that sort of in an emergency because we didn't anticipate them not being able to to do that. Right. Um, right. And so then that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, how many that's, people, how many people, was it just you or you and a, uh, a couple other people? It was, it was me and one person building that and then very quickly it grew to be a team and then eventually became like teams of teams, you know, like by the time I left, we were probably... 30, 40 people just in that, on that system. Wow. Um, 
I imagine it's, you know, it, that makes sense. The, the other part that was hard that I find to be really interesting, and this was somewhat unpredictable, is that it's the rules and the, the business rules are not obvious for the business. And they change and they can get weird. So, you know, when I decide to say, okay, this is an invoice and here's how much is on the invoice. And, you know, the system is making that call. Um, there's actually a lot of really interesting business logic involved in there. It's like the company will sell an office for a certain amount of money, but then one day they'll take that office and they'll break it up into four desks and they'll sell those four desks individually. And so all of a sudden you got to like move someone out of this one thing that's like being paid in a unit and then break it out into these different units. Or you get, you know, businesses that say, I want this invoice to go to a completely separate department, but the business is all the same. And so then you got to find a, you know, come up with some idea to represent businesses that are these multiple hierarchies. You know, you have to start to say, oh, uh, you know, now we're going to start selling virtual things that have no office at all. Like, can you represent that? And these are how the rules of them are, are going to work. And so in some cases for certain products, the, the business logic involved to sort of actually bill it the way the businesses wanted to was pretty nasty. Um, and one of them in particular was, you know, they said, hey, let's do this new thing where we're going to give people desks on a sort of subscription basis, but you can come in whenever you like and just use the desk. So you pay a certain amount, but then you get to use like three days, you know, a month or something like that, right? Like a sort of a virtual desk thing. And, and billing for that became just a nightmare. It was a huge amount of work. It's interesting because the reason I say that particular case is that it's a blessing and a curse. Um, the the curse is, you know, this company's on the hook for building this thing. And frankly, they don't want to invest in a, and clearly all your customers, I think are going to agree with this. Nobody wants to invest in building a building system. Like it is not core to whatever your business is doing, except for you guys. Right. right? And so, you know, what is <laughs> WeWork doing, like having this thing and, you know, costing them a ton of money? The the thing is, is that with these complicated things, the business was growing so fast, trying out so many different things that we could just do whatever we wanted as far as, as long as we could write it in the software, we could make it work. So having this really, really tight coordination with us doing the billing actually enabled a lot of stuff at the business. Um, a lot of crazy things happened that, that I never would have thought they were ever going to try. So we periodically, just to cap off that that point, we periodically would look around and say, okay, is there like a system out there that someone has built that we can just migrate to? And every time we looked, the answer was always no, um, up until when I left. Very interesting. What about a small company? What about like a two-person company? Like how, like what do you tell them when it comes to billing? Well, uh, like what should they do? So narrator, <laughs> we we uh, we don't write it ourselves. Nope. No thanks. Right? Like <laughs> if you're a subscription business, like that's well understood, you know? Um, if you're like an e-commerce shop selling widgets, like that's well understood. I think that... Uh, the model built out by a lot of guys like you guys, Stripe Billing, Charge B, you know, I'm not going to express any preference in, in any of these things. I don't advocate for anyone. Mm-hmm. But um, I think generally, like, this has become a well-understood problem over the years. And I imagine that having been in business as long as you guys have, you've seen just about most models people want to do, you know. Someone's like, oh, I want to charge weekly by the unit, but only in units greater than 20. I'm sure you could have a way to figure that out. And right. when you get too like cute with it, it's also sort of a sign that your business is doing like something a little weird. My take on it is if you're a small business, like you definitely don't need to roll it yourself. Like just don't. It's absolutely not worth it. Work on your work on your business. <laughs> right. The voice of experience. No, exactly. <laughs> like having built one, I'm not I, I don't want to do it unless it's strictly required. You say work on your business. You mean like the yeah, core yeah. work on what actually is gonna get you customers. Yes. Like, okay. you know, understand your customers, like work on marketing, do something, but don't, don't work on a billing system. Give me 
like one or two things. If, if somebody listens to this interview, what, what do you want them to take away? Uh, well, as far as, as data goes, I think that might be an interesting thing to talk about. The takeaway I would say is you can go a lot farther than you think without hiring real data, but there comes a point at which you absolutely have to do it. And it feels like a big chasm to jump and in some ways it is, but it's actually not that crazy to do. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll quickly illustrate that for just a moment if you're interested. Yeah. So, you know, when you're a small company and you've got a, your mind wrapped around how everything is going, you understand your metrics and you know where you're going, you know, like data is important and it's important particularly so you don't accidentally believe something that's not true. But that's the main reason. It's not going to predict the future for you and it's not going to tell you how to run your business. So, you know, if you're wondering why people are churning and you've got like 50 customers, go ask them, right? Like this is stuff that all startup founders understand. Um, there isn't some magic data that's going to tell you something super innovative or super interesting. But when you get to a point where I illustrated this earlier, where data starts to get spread across multiple places, that's when you start to lose your ability to understand what's going on. So, you know, if like, like with our example, when I said, you know, like, what's my MRR? Well, I'm getting it from my billing system and I'm also getting it from people just sending us money. That means that no, I no longer have, you know, one place to go. When you do that, then is that is when you should hire somebody for data because it seems conceptually straightforward, but it's incredibly hard to properly bring data together in a way that is, is doing what you expect. Um, because like, for example, you guys, I'm, like I said, I'm certain you have tons of great metrics, MRR, you know, all this stuff, but it's not your job to go get it from some other system. So the moment I want to understand MRR, I need to go like write that myself because now there is no system that'll do it for me because like there isn't like you guys aren't going to grab it from some other thing and, and sort of compute it for me based on someone else's stuff. Right. Um, and so what I would say is be wary of tools that sort of try to do this, but not really, you know, like a tool um, that'll tell you, hey, we'll give you all this great data, just merge this and merge this in. We're highly generally skeptical of those things because once you start doing that, you actually do need someone who understands, I think, data to, to sort of help you do it properly. You know, the way that you would proceed there is bring someone on board that's like a generalist, you know, analyst background, data engineering background, willing just to work all across the stack. Like, you know, don't go ham and like try to hire a company that does in-depth user attribution. That's all they do. Like, don't worry about it. All you need to do is have your data in one place so that you can see it, right? Start from that. And so that person will probably set you up with a data warehouse. They'll find a way to send the data from, you know, N different systems into that data warehouse. And then from there, that all that is relatively straightforward. There's great tools that do this already for you. From there, they can then sort of start to answer your data questions. And ideally, the thinking that we have is people know their business. Like, you know, marketing executives live on data. CEOs live on data. They understand this, right? So if you if you show them, hey, like, this is your MRR, this is your churn, this is your net revenue retention, they're going to have hypotheses for how to improve it. And what I would say is like at that point, you can, you don't have to get too like in depth about it. You just form a hypothesis for, you know, why is, why is churn a problem? Like maybe we should look at fixing this thing. So go ahead and fix it. And then now that your data, that you trust that you can track it, see if it changed. That'll take you incredibly far. Like if you guys if you end up with a data person that is able to sort of get your stuff in place to give you the fundamental metrics for the business, you're basically ahead of most companies. And I say that actually without being facetious, it's actually true. So I would say don't hold on, don't need to do in-depth analysis that early on, like focus on the basics. Right. You're talking about just getting accurate data that you trust first. Yeah. Particularly when it starts to get spread across different places. 
that tracks with my experience too over <laughs> quite a lot, quite a lot of marketing conversations with founders and CEOs. So, um, very cool. Cedric, this has been great. How do people find more about you? Like, where should they go? Uh, go to narrator.ai. Feel free to email me. I don't mind giving you my email address. It's cedric at narrator.ai. Happy to chat about anything related to billing, which work, narrator, data. The best questions we get are, are people saying, all right, you just describe this crazy, weird data thing. Like, I don't believe it can possibly work. Like, like I'm challenging you on it. We love that. So anybody interested <laughs> in, in data, come talk to us. We love it. Cool. Very cool. Well, yeah. thanks, Cedric. This has been great. Thanks for having me. This was, this was really fun. 